that that was a tough day, man. Like it was, you know, seeing that young family go through what they did, um, it was tough. But it also it's a gift in some ways because then you you really appreciate how precious life is. Like so, like you'll come home from a day like that, and when you see when I see my boys, I'm just like. This is awesome. Like, come and hug dad. I want to play with you all the rest of the night. Let's, uh, you guys could drop kick me in the chest all that you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just, it, um, it's, it's, it really makes you appreciate how, the little things. Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host, Deepak Sharma, and this podcast aims to connect different communities under the premise that we're all fundamentally the same. We tend to overcomplicate most things in life. This podcast is really just a conversation, and it's not that deep. This week's guest is Dr. Kwajo Karamantang, an intensive care unit and palliative care doctor, as well as an associate scientist in the clinical epidemiology program at the Ottawa Hospital. Kwajo is also an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa and the founder of the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce health spending without compromising health care. Somehow between all this, Dr. Karamantang also manages to host his own podcast called Solving Healthcare, which I strongly urge you to check out. On it, he discusses current issues facing the healthcare world with expert healthcare professionals. This has been my go-to source of all information related to the coronavirus pandemic. During this episode, we talk about his journey COVID-19 and the things we can do to help the spread as well as his personal mindset, diet and fitness rituals. Today's podcast is sponsored by Podpack Solutions. Starting and managing a podcast can be a daunting task. Teaching yourself how to create, edit, distribute and promote a podcast is a lot of work. Trust me, I know. With that being said, there's never been a better time to start a podcast for your business or personal brand. So let Podpack Solutions take care of all the painful aspects of podcasting so you can just show up and press record. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the It's Not That Deep Accountability Network. If you've been looking to stay on track with your personal goals, shoot me a message so I can add you to our Facebook group today. Enjoy this episode and just remember, it's not that deep. Dr. Kwajo Karamantang, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast, brother. My man, Deepak, thank you for having me. I am a big fan of what you're throwing down. And I got to say, just like I said two minutes ago, that was one of the best pronunciations of my name that uh, I've had in eons. So mad props, (laughs) my friend. Mad props. I appreciate having you on the podcast. Let's give people a little bit of an intro. You're an intensive care unit and palliative care uh, doctor at the Ottawa Hospital. Uh, You're also founder of the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group uh, working to reduce healthcare spending uh, without compromising on care. And if, if I'm not mistaken, you're also an associate scientist in clinical epidemiology at Ottawa yes. Hospital's research program. Um, and you're also, are you still a part-time uh, professor at Ottawa U? We, uh, all those titles are true, Deepak. It's, uh, it's crazy. Years of education, my friend. That's awesome, man. And and another thing that I think is very important to note is you've also got a podcast, an amazing podcast that I urge everyone to check out. We'll definitely talk about it a little bit more, and it's called Solving Healthcare. Man, yeah. I, I've gotten so much value from listening to that podcast, and you know, it's just really an honor to have you here. 
I really appreciate you having me, and uh, I've been. I know we had to bail on this uh, interview uh, a, a couple times, but I am so stoked for this, my friend. Well, I mean, I wish I could have had you here in the studio under more calm circumstances, but you know, uh, we, we're obviously going to be addressing the elephant in the room, uh, which is the coronavirus, COVID nineteen pandemic that's affecting us all, and um, you know, we'll get into that for sure. But I want to start by giving the people a little bit of a story, uh, a little bit of a background of your story. Tell people who who you are, and you know how you got to you know where you are today. Well, uh, thanks for that, Deepak. So, I mean, my, my I started off, uh, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, my parents are from Ghana. Uh, and I was uh, one of four kids growing up uh, in Edmonton and a uh, very ambitious family. My Two of my sisters are dentists, you know what I mean? Like, so it's always like, you know, aiming to be high performers there. And um Grew up uh, very active in sports. I like played hockey, volleyball, basketball, soccer. Everything I could touch, I would be that'd be part of my game. And and um, you know, I, I knew for a long time I wanted to be a doc. But uh, you know, it, it took me it took me a while to get my act together. Like I was, <laughs> you know, in undergrad, I was working in restaurants. I was a bus boy. Later, I was bartending and. And so, like to to really get focused, took a couple of years, and um, even between medical degree, like between getting undergrad and my medical degree, I took a couple of years off. Got to travel a lot. Got to bartend. That's where I met my wife, in fact. And um, then, yeah, got into medicine, and then your whole life changes after that. Like it was obviously a big dream of mine to be able to take care of sick patients and to be able to, you know contribute really and and it's for those that are aspiring to be in medicine it's it it's a, it is a special thing but it's a very difficult thing like it's a lot of late hours like um even now you know if i'm i'll be on call for up to like 36 hours at a time sometimes you sleep well sometimes you don't um and then you, there's just a lot, a lot of pressure a lot of stakes when you're doing intensive care work where you know you put someone's life's on your in your hands, like you're the last line of defense in the intensive care unit, you know. So if someone, our patients are on life support. They they've had a trauma. They can't breathe. Their blood pressure is low, and you gotta think on your toes and act fast. And so um, I I was very attracted to that um, specialty because I, I like action. I like to think on my toes. I like to I like the unpredictability of it all. And then my other job, I do palliative care where you get to slow down and talk to families and, and, and patients and get to really know them and really try and help them transition to a peaceful death, which is something I take a lot of pride in. Um, and yeah, so so yeah, it's that's basically the gist of my my path there. Now, when did you know that, you know, it was it was it was this it was this particular field in medicine that really interested you that's a great question I, I i got exposed to intensive care as a medical student and the second i walked in the door i was like this is it dog this is it because i had all these questions i was like i want uh, my initial thought was i was going to be a pediatrician and 
that was a little too intense for me. Then I thought gynecology and then surgery, emergency medicine. But when I walked into that intensive care unit at Foothills Hospital in Calgary and I saw the action, I saw the thinking, I saw the teamwork, I was like, this is my baby right now, man. <laughs> this, is where I, this is where I belong. So I was blessed relatively early knowing that I wanted to do that. And I got to tell you, Deepak, it's it's incredible. You're working with a team of so many intelligent people that push you every day. You got nurses that are, you know, like comfortable dealing with high stakes situations, dealing with emotional situations. Like you just, it's a connection. It's a team. And um, you're there for families during tough times. You get to walk them through the good and the bad. And, uh, and like you don't know what's coming through the door. You could be chilling out and be like, everything's, uh, seems like everything's going well. And all of a sudden you get that trauma come in. Mm. All of a sudden you got that bleeding patient come in and it's go time. It's and then you, switch then, habits. Then you're in go mode right away. And, and Absolutely. D- does it, do you think that, you know, you being, uh, you know, involved in athletics at a younger age has some role to play in that? That's a, you know what? That is an amazing question because we talk about, like I play hockey on two or three teams and it's a team full of docs and you can spot uh like when i'm because you get a bunch of residents that come through or trainees coming through i can spot a a guy that played a team sport or a girl that played a team sport from a mile away they're the ones that are like organizing the team they're the ones that are getting the uh you're getting stuff before you ask they're the ones like trying to get the morale up in the group that are light you know what i mean and so absolutely does the sports help it's it 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 helps read the situation like you could read the situation you you sense how your team is going um you're you're good at dealing with stress you know what i mean like if you take any form of performance sport whether it's individual or team like you have you most of us are accustomed to high stress situations so absolutely 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 debug no, and I and I could completely see the parallels, but obviously what you're doing now is just slightly more high stakes than <laughs> than, than than your uh, than your resident hockey games. But I love that. I like I like I can see already that you know you've got you know not necessarily just a competitive spirit, but your eyes light up when when there's a challenge, and so it's really cool to see how that translates then into what you're doing every day. Can I uh, add, can I add to that challenge piece too? Like yeah. one thing that because I got three kids and you know all of them are really different, but the one my n- number one Teddy, he's got that competitive drive that like it's he hates to lose, which we it could be annoying at times, but it's hard to teach that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to teach that 1, that, that push, yeah. And so one thing that I I still kind of that's been an innate in me too is that. Like if someone tells me I can't do it or they put me down saying like, you know, this is not going to happen. It's like, okay, let's go. You know what I mean? It's go time. It was just like same thing with medicine, same thing getting into residency. For sure there were times where they're like, you know what? It doesn't look like you're going to get in. And it's like, you you know what, son? We're going to ball right now, okay? We're going to show you what time it is right now. That is one of my, rightfully or wrongfully, one of my – Biggest drivers, but mm. biggest pushes. You know, the same thing happened in the, my research world. I, I approach things very different compared to a lot of my colleagues. 
and you know like not many of my colleagues like to look at costs and stuff and you know some people would say you know that's not research and i'm like i'll show you we'll, we'll show you we'll, we'll 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 develop a machine so um yeah that's an important part of my life for real bud why don't we talk about that a little bit and, uh, you know, in terms of you founding the Resource Optimization Network. I, I read this quote uh, that you said, from my clinical experience, I've been motivated to improve critical care and find ways to reduce costs and divert funds to places where it would be the most benefit. And that quote stuck with me a lot because as somebody who knows nothing about healthcare or medicine and the costs involved all i know is that here in canada if i break my leg and i i, I gotta get, go get some surgery or something it's gonna be taken care of i don't gotta worry about the bill up front you know my taxes or something it's all just kind of sorted out and, and we're mm -hmm. good to go but everything costs money everything mm. costs money everyone's time costs money the resources Talk to me about what inspired you founding the Resource Optimization Network. I like to tell a story to kind of put it in perspective. So when I was training, we had a guy maybe a little bit older than you that got into a bad car accident, left him quadriplegics, and um, had a difficult time breathing, so needed a tracheostomy, okay? Mm -hmm. And... To be able to breathe and to clear his lungs, he needed a lot of chest physio, like a physiotherapist to work on his lungs. And in that era of tax cuts and uh, hospital cuts, the physiotherapist position was being less and less available, you know. And I was I remember, I was so proud. He was able to get out of the intensive care unit. And because it's a long weekend, the physiotherapists aren't there. They're not able to tap on his chest. So what happens? He gets into breathing problems. He comes back into the ICU, and he's now needing to be on a ventilator on life support. And is all that progress? And he's like now two weeks, like a two week setback. All because we made cuts on a position that I think is so important, where we spend money on so many things that aren't benefiting patients and and treatment and. And to me, you know, if we could be more efficient with our resources and put them into things that actually will make patients better, like this is what we need to do. So when I, this happened, I'm like, man, we got to do better. Screw this. Okay. And so it took, you know, as anything else in my career, a while to figure out how to do it, but eventually developed a team of, of, of researchers and, and clinicians that were, have the same passion and you know what, let's look at ways where we could save healthcare money and put it into things that matter. And so that's that's how that kind of developed, my friend. That's awesome, man. So what are some of the things, you know, really high level, because, you know, we obviously can't yeah. get into all the weeds of it, but what are like some, like two or three big things that can be changed that we do have the control over and, and can be worked on for allocation of these resources yeah so i think the number one in my world the number one thing is to really have conversations with our, our loved ones about what would they want near the end of life and because you know what we see is often patients that come into the intensive care unit and 
intensive care unit, you're like, okay, well, no big deal. But that's literally 1% of your gross domestic product goes to taking care of patients in the ICU. Wow. I like a lot that. of, like it's a monster bill. And, you know, if you're going to come in, which is a, a, a tough course where you're going to get tubes in you, you're going to get poked, prodded, you're going to be, you, you won't be able to eat or drink when you want. Um, I hope you, you, you're choosing to do that with the idea of being able to benefit from it. And a lot of patients that we find, you know, they don't even want it, but because they never had that conversation, because they never um, articulated to their family, they're going through all these horrible things without any benefit. So like, it's not uncommon that we would get a 90 something year old person with dementia that can't even recognize their own family that has like three or four um, comorbidities or sorry, um, health problems and no one had that conversation. What would you want? What would they really want near the end of their life? And they end up in the intensive care unit, cost the system like fifteen to 20000 and they die anyway. You know what I mean? And it's to me, this is like the biggest, like if you're going to go bang for your buck or the most efficient way of dealing with these things would be to just address goals of care or end-of-life care uh, earlier. And I can see how your your palliative care experience, um, you know, plays a big role in that. And so, my my mother works in a long term care facility, and uh, oh really? And, and so I hear I hear uh, a lot of stories. Obviously, with people's uh, you know information confidential, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. H- high level stories uh, about uh, you know a lot of elderly patients or people who are in. Um, situations that are not uh, able to recover very unlikely to recover be mm-hmm. completely okay with I, I forgot what it's called is it a dnr uh, yeah do dnr not, yeah do absolutely not do not resuscitate yeah yeah and, and so you know like i'm 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 lucky that i can openly have these conversations with, with my family about like well if i was ever in that situation this is what i'd want or if i was mm-hmm. ever in and so i think i think a lot of it starts with making that conversation a little bit more comfortable yeah. although it is a it is a weird and a touchy topic but all these kinds of things such as you know end of life care euthanasia all these different things it's like okay we should we should almost end the stigma and let's just talk about it absolutely it, yeah because yeah. like we we're if you think about it, we're all gonna die one day and you know if if we're more open to talk about these things it stigmatizes it less and we could just be more connected like one of the things deepak that we that i i hate seeing in my palliative care world is sometimes people deny that they're dying or they don't think they're dying or don't want to address the idea that they're dying. And, and because of that, they, they don't have those meaningful conversations with their family. They'll be like a, say like a a cousin or a sister that's, you know, abroad. And, you know, if they knew that they only had a few months left, maybe they would spend more time with that loved one and, and have meaningful interactions. But by denying the kind of the the, the wrecking, not recognizing that they're dying or not having that conversation, those magical moments don't happen. And those moments truly are magical. And mm. I, I, 
like I, one of my hugest regrets is uh, like my, my old man passed away about a year and a half ago and his, I would have done anything to be able to be there when he died and he died overseas in Ghana and um, you know, to be like, there was so much, so many things I would have loved to have said or asked my old man before he, before he passed, but you know, didn't have, I didn't get a chance to do that. And so I, I'll even say, you know, open up about that to my patients and their families because it's that important, I think, with the, especially with the healing and the grieving process. I, I think that's really important. And, you know, you hear stories about people being on life support for like 10 plus years. And like, mm-hmm. how do you get that closure? Yeah. But but yeah, that's that's I love what you're doing with the resource optimization network. That's a great initiative. Um, but we could sit here and chat all day about that. So let's let let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit and chat. Uh, you know the strange times that we're living in currently. Yes. Um, and this is where you know at first I want to really take some time to plug your podcast, Solving Healthcare, uh, because. Um, you know, I personally have been able to learn so much from going on this podcast and get some real facts and from from infectious disease experts uh, such as Dr. Suman uh, Chakrabati. I, I think I'm saying that correctly. No, no you killed, you nailed that one too, boss. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, a pulmonologist, uh, Dr. Nick Mark. And, mm-hmm. and, and these guys are coming on here and they're just talking facts and some of the things that i've learned in these 15 minute mini casts on solving healthcare have been like i just want to i want everyone to hit pause right now on this episode if they're listening (laughs) to this go subscribe to that and 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 get educated because all the social media in the world all the news in the world is not going to give you the frontline facts and things that you know and and you guys are very much figuring it out just like all of us right you're mm. getting updates every week every day and and this thing's evolving and and you know let's talk about it so mm-hmm. so as as I'm recording this right now i think worldwide we're about uh you know 360,000 cases 15,000 mm-hmm. deaths uh but you know 100,000 people have reportedly recovered as well mm-hmm. um China, obviously, Italy, USA, Spain, and Germany, as well as Iran, are on top of that list for the most uh, reported cases. Let's let's first, you know, give the people a little bit of a quick lesson on what coronavirus is, because from w- what I learned on your podcast, we there are more than one coronavirus, and we've had it for a while. This is just a different version. Yeah, and and forgive me, Deepak. I might have to talk out of my back backside a little bit here, but um, but yeah, like it's uh, it's it seems like this this coronavirus was uh, stemmed from bat, a bat. Uh, like coronavirus, as you mentioned, is the the virus of the common cold. This one uh, stemmed from you know Wuhan, China, and seemed to be extremely contagious. And you know, spread within that area quite rapidly, and and now is like, as you alluded to, is worldwide right now, and is all we can talk about and focus on. And you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to talk to some of the experts in the field that have had exposure, and also 
just know a lot about uh, coronavirus and it's it's crazy times we're in, man. But uh, all I could tell you is, um, you know, this is this is something. I mean, we haven't had to deal with something this level since you know swine flu or H one N one, and I I think what we've learned from each one of these, like H one N one SARS, is you know it's all about listening to our public health officials listening to what their recommendations are, like this social isolation movement and flattening the curve, I think is so important. You know, I know it's a tough time for a lot of people, a lot of families. I know you, we were talking about before being, having me stuck in in your apartment for a while now, but it's like us doing our part to try and not overwhelm the system, you know, and I think it's, 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 it's what we need to do now. And hopefully it's enough, you know what I'm saying? In your words, could you kind of explain flattening the curve to someone who might not completely understand the concept? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the idea is, um, so like what you saw in Italy was that they had a huge onslaught of disease burden and a bunch of six patients at once. And so what happened was, is like their capacity was overburdened. So you got a ton of patients with with coronavirus, then you still have patients that have normal stuff like heart attacks, breaking their hips and all that stuff. And because the system was so overrun, you can't take care of the patients that even have treatable common problems. And so by flattening the curve, our idea is that uh, by reducing the exposure, you are getting less people sick all at once. So instead of having just a random number, a thousand people sick within a week, you might have a thousand people sick over six months. Whereas that allows us to still operate, still be able to treat our our patients that are going through normal or normal, like other medical conditions um, to be able to stay functional. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I do think at least here in Canada, the response has been decent and we are, we are now, you know, for the most part practicing uh, a lot of the isolation, but you know, you do wonder if it was enough and if it was fast enough, uh, even mm-hmm. though it, it is something that's pretty unprecedented and there's a lot of um, waiting to kind of see, you know, how serious it is. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one thing that uh, from listening to your podcast that, you know, stuck out to me and actually, you know, it kind of makes a lot of sense uh, is that some of the other countries such as Iran and Italy that were so widely affected after China um, is because the most flights that leave those areas in China go to Italy and Tehran. So like, I found that very interesting that, you know, at first it was, I mean, and, and I think this might be even changing now and we'll definitely get into this, but at first it was very much, let's limit travel. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what else? Uh, another thing that I think it was Dr. Nick who was mentioning it in, in one of your recent podcasts is that now from from a health systems level, we're actually thinking that, you know, it's not only people who are traveling that we have to pay attention to. It's also mm-hmm. community contact. Can you explain yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So w- when this all started to come about, you know, a few weeks back, 
you know, what we just determined as risk factors were that you had to be traveling from a suspected area. So, like, are you coming from Wuhan or the um, anywhere near that province in China? And then we start to see more spread. And so then it tells you that not it's not only a risk if you travel, it's a risk if it's spreading within the community. So if you have now, like for example, now, if someone has symptoms of just, you know, cold, like um, upper respiratory symptoms, so like, um, you know, fever, cough, sore throat, now we have to ask ourselves, have they been exposed to coronavirus? Because it's in our community now. And so it's like now the testing is, the people that are suspected is significantly more compared to a few weeks back when it was just the traveler with symptoms. So, you know, speaking about symptoms a little bit, um, you know, it was mentioned in one of those podcasts by Dr. Nick, and I don't want to keep mentioning him and put him on the spot or something. Oh, no, it's all good. He's all good. Okay with it. Um, But, you know, he mentioned that fever is actually not a reliable indicator to rule infection uh, in or out and that only half of patients may have it upon presentation, and only mm-hmm. 85% will have it at all. Can we talk about what are what are the symptoms that people should really be looking for and should, uh, you know, uh, act on if, if, if they have them? Yeah, and I'll preface this by always, like, always checking the public health sites, too, just because, you know, this is something that's always evolving. But the common things that we're saying is... Yes, if you have fever, yes, if you have um, sore throat, cough, feeling unwell, feeling like you have like the flu, um, then, you know, it's you're those are symptoms that would be consistent with having COVID-19. Um, so you could feel like like you might have COVID-19, you might have a, a flu, you might have just a cold. It's tough to know exactly. It's, you know, it's not, you don't have specific systems that will say this is COVID or not. But um, at this rate with with uh, the concerns of it spreading in the community, um, this is something that we got to rule out. Okay. So, uh, sounds mm-hmm. good. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then... Uh, you know, another thing that was uh, kind of talked about is what to do if you do have these symptoms. So uh, uh, something that I found very interesting and, you know, I hadn't even, you know, initially considered and it does come a lot back to your flattening the curve point is that if you do present with these symptoms, don't just rush to the emergency room and infect <laughs> everybody in that room uh, potentially. So. Yeah. What should people be doing? And obviously, you know, this is all prefaced by make sure you check your uh, public public health. Uh, but but what what should you be doing right now? Yeah, right now, it, if you're like not in respiratory difficulty and and you're not you you're not, you don't feel like your life's in danger per se. You know, I, I know it's repetitive, but I would still call the public health authority and and they will tell you, you know. Um, maybe you go get testing at, for example, they got the testing at the Brewer Center here in Ottawa. Um, by the time this comes out, potentially they might come and test you at home. Who knows? Like this is always evolving. And I should mention we're doing this March 23rd, 2020. So like, honestly, the way things are changing every 
day, every week, it's so hard to really say yeah. exactly what to do. And that's why my fallback, uh, Deepak, is always saying, like, just uh, just check what with uh, public health because they, they're telling us something new on a regular regular <laughs> basis. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I completely recognize your position that, you know, the, this is not something that, you know, you can just sit here on this podcast, give one answer, and it's just going to apply forever. It's a mm-hmm. it's a rapidly changing uh, situation, but definitely that makes a lot of sense. Call your um, p- public health authority. And, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the things that, that uh, you know, what are some ideas to make sure that... Um, you know, people like yourself who are very much on the front lines of this thing uh, mm-hmm. are, are are a little bit more protected? Yeah, good question. We, like, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. I, I can't, it's so motherly, but it's such a, an important thing. And I've, I got to tell you, I, I've been working in the hospital for about two weeks. I've never washed my hands so much in my life. <laughs> It's like uh, these hands are are raw. Um, But um, you wash your hands. You do, you know, when when we do, um, you know, don't touch your face um, when you're doing. Okay, I want to talk about that a little bit. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. I'm very guilty of this, and I know a lot of people do this, but I touch my face a lot. I, I read some stat that people on average touch their face 20 times an hour. How do we get people like me <laughs> to just stop touching their damn face? I don't like it, it, it's such a yeah, wash your hands, yeah, don't touch your face. How do we actually make that happen? How do you, yeah, you know, I, I struggle with this one too. Like, I, I was doing um, the residents were making fun of me actually. I did this promo video on the coronavirus and they were like you touch your face all the time like the whole video i was like really i looked at it again i was like oh my god yeah yeah, yeah, yeah let's, honestly let's do that one again yeah exactly <laughs> but honestly you just deepak you just do your best like you know like with all this stuff i i want to stress one thing is that the you do your part do what your best uh to to, to try and abide by what were these recommendations but there's no point stressing. There's no point like you got to still live, right? Like you still got to you still you still got to be a human being. You're going to touch your face, you're going to um you know do your best to wash your hands. So wait, you're like, telling me I shouldn't be stocking up on a year's supply worth of toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> I still don't get it actually. I, I this conversation happens every day is like I don't really understand this this concept. Um but anyways, but yeah, I mean, you, we still got to live your life. And, you know, what I keep telling people is just have faith in the process. There's a lot of smart people that are doing their best to, to stay ahead of this thing. And, you know, from our part, you know, it's it's always a bit scary because things are changing. We And as you mentioned earlier on the show, we're just kind of like waiting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're just waiting for the... the the shoe to drop, like what? What's this gonna look like in th- two weeks? What's it gonna look like in three weeks? We don't know, right? And so, yeah. like I could tell you personally, and at, at the hospitals throughout Ontario, we're just doing our best to be ready for. You anticipate the worst and uh, hope for the best, kind hope of thing. Hope for the best. I love that. Yeah. Um, 
so in terms of that, and now this is another kind of debated topic out there is uh, you know gloves and masks so mm. obviously as a healthcare professional you are well trained in you know the glove procedure and washing your hands before or after wearing them and and you know wearing a mask and wearing it correctly uh and and that kind of stuff well I, and you know you don't have to make a recommendation but what do you uh, suggest people do regard in regards to uh, wearing gloves and masks are you talking healthcare wise or just like uh, people around the way like well uh, well right now uh, specifically in the response to this coronavirus you're seeing some people wearing gloves and other people wearing masks and some people obsessing of N95 masks and other people telling you save the masks for the healthcare workers. And it's just really uh, a lot of inconsistent messaging and mm-hmm. you quite frankly don't know who to listen to. So yeah. what's the what's the kind of word on gloves, uh, masks and like what should, how should we really be going about this? Yeah, I mean... This is a tough question because I know for us as a healthcare professionals, these are absolutely needed. Like this is this, we know that we're at highest risk of acquiring this virus of COVID nineteen, and so you know when we do, like I, in my job, we do the high, one of the highest risk procedures of acquiring it when we put a breathing tube in somebody's lungs or uh, any procedures that involve their lungs. Um, we need the, the N95 mask, we need the glove and, and gown. And, you know, that would be a t- really a true concern if we weren't having access to that. You know, um, in terms of the general public, like, you know, the I, I will reinforce this that, you know, there's a reason we're saying wash your hands. Um, if you're, you got sick contacts, stay at home. Um, the the good thing about this, if you could say there's a good thing, is that, you know, someone like yourself, if you were to acquire COVID-19, you, the, the expectation is that you would be fine. You know, it, it seems to really be impacting those that are older and have multiple medical problems. So, you know, does the public need to go buy gloves and, 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 and masks? You know, I... I, I that's not what the public health is saying. That's not what the World World Health Organization is saying. That's not what the CDC is. Center of Disease. What is that? CDC. Control. Center of Disease Control. Disease Control. Thank you, Voss. Um, they're not saying. They're not saying that. But um, so I, I, you know, I, all I can say for me, I just want to make sure it's available. If I got to take care of these sick patients and risk, you know, my health, mm. you know. Okay, I hear that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, pretty much it comes back to it. Check with your local authorities, whether or not if that changes or not. But as of right now, don't obsess over it. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, okay. put it this way. My family, I'm, I, I, go to, I go to the hospital where, you know, it's high stress. Nobody in my house is wearing gloves and masks. Nobody's, you know... Uh, we're, we're just doing all the stuff that is recommended to us, washing our hands regularly and, and just trying to live life 
yeah. in, so, in social isolation. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. And and it's uh, it's definitely weird because I, I saw this one, <laughs> this meme, and I never thought I'd be discussing memes with you, doctor. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that's just how weird things are these days, right? But it was, yeah. it was basically like how... Uh, you know, if you had told people six months ago that you would be able to exclusively work from home, binge all your favorite TV shows and, you know, stay chill with your dogs, your family and just have uh, basically time to do, explore all your creative endeavors and do all these things, it would be like yes everyone would sign up for it <laughs> and then you tell people it's mandatory and you got to do it and like it's it's a week or two weeks in and everyone's done man <laughs> yeah. is, is that your is that your feeling uh deepak like uh, amongst your friends and and maybe colleagues at work is that uh are they are they struggling i know a lot of people are struggling and not just the physical distancing which like it probably should be called physical distancing if we're being yeah. honest because we're not supposed to be physically in, in close proximity to each other but i think it's the mental component i think uh you know no matter all these distractions and things at home that you have and have access to uh, we are very much social creatures, and when mm-hmm. you tell people that they can't be, they start to want it more. I, I find yeah. and so the FaceTimes and and these kinds of uh, Zoom calls are a lot more frequent. And thank God for the technology that we have, uh, mm-hmm. the capability to do that and still stay somewhat connected. But I gotta be honest with you, man. I don't think people will be able to do this for longer than. Uh, a couple months and that's mm-hmm. being generous that's just my personal opinion i'm i'm hoping yeah. i'm hoping it doesn't get to the point where there are a few people who decide to go against uh the um recommendations but i'm finding it already like you know i've had to obviously go to the grocery store and visit my family mm-hmm. and do do certain things you know that are still going out into the public and i i still go out for a run or you know for mm-hmm. a walk just to you know not be in cooped up in my apartment but Mm. that those even those things i'm like should i not be going to the grocery store should i not be going for a run there's we don't have the answers for these things i don't think and so well yeah like it's it's tough i i all i can say is that i i hope our our powers that be keep that in consideration like you know we are social creatures. We all we do need to feel connected, and there's consequences to this. You know, like I'm thinking of a friend's grandmother, who's uh, elderly and is lives on her own and is, you know, lonely. And loneliness kills too. So I I think you know I I still have faith in our in our system that we will factor all these things in when it comes to like next steps. Um, but I I do hear you, buddy. Like this is this is a, a challenge. But for yeah. now, this is you know what we need to do. Absolutely, and you know that's without even getting into all the economic um, you know sides mm. of things, where you know a lot of people are forced to shut shut down their businesses or not not able to pay their employees. But there are a lot of things that I I think the government is trying to do in response to this and and try to help out, and you know. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, there are ways to to help each other out. And one thing that I I kind of heard you guys uh, chatting about was, uh, you know, 
trying to organize something like a like a collection drive for technology for tablets and stuff to yeah, help out those yeah. help out those uh, th- those grand grandmothers and elderly people who might um, be be in extra level of isolation. Yeah. Talk no, to that me was, about that a bit. Yeah, that was that was a uh, Nick's idea, and he was. I thought it was brilliant because. Yeah, man. Like when when patients are are in the hospital with COVID nineteen, they're like isolated, right? Like they're they people are all in ga- gown and glove to see them. They're, you know, people are more reluctant to go into the room, and especially if they're near, like some of these guys, obviously aren't going to survive. And so, um, you know, to be able to see family, like right now, a lot of places are have a no visitor policy unless mm-hmm. you're you're going to die, you know, like, so, you know, that could be very lonely for our patients. So like that idea that Nick had of like having an on, having some technology available so that they can see or FaceTime with their family would be amazing. It was, we, we, we were just joking saying like, this is one of the 15 things we'll put on the list of things that we're trying to do. It's just, it's always in, in academic medicine, there's always, so much that you're trying to accomplish with limited resources but it was i do think it's a brilliant idea though yeah that's so true man is is there anything else that you know you kind of wanted to uh you know chat about with uh covid19 in particular i know there you know you're not allowed to get into too much detail about you know certain cases and that kind of stuff but uh, I've all, I've got some questions from friends of mine that I could get into unless you you had a few, like anything else. Sure. To mention. What are you? I mean, the one thing I would mention is just, and I, I'm not saying this because I'm a frontline worker, but just just be those that you that you see out there or that you you know personally. Just give them. Uh, they're scared. They're it's a scary time. So if you could, you know, those words of encouragement, saying like we appreciate what you do. I could say personally, it means a lot. And I've seen them when they get those those kind of messages, how much it means to our teams and stuff. So I, I would say just continue to be encouraging during this extremely challenging time. Absolutely, man. And that goes to everyone listening to this right now. Reach, out to, reach out to someone. Tell them you're thankful. Yeah. So let's get into the, I have a few questions from friends that, you know, maybe you might be able to help out with, maybe not. Um, so how isolated does someone need to be? Let's say I become infected, uh, but I'm showing some symptoms, but I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, they're not so bad that I need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Can I, for example, stay in the basement with the door open with, with other people upstairs without infecting them? How... Like how how isolated does my isolation really have to be? Yeah, that's a good question. This is another one I would I often ask my like the uh, our public health authorities on. But certainly the people that are in the house will have to be isolated too. So like you know they would have to um, whatever we're going to recommend at the time, whether that's uh, seven days or fourteen days, it just depends on what what stage of the game, but yeah, they're going to have to be isolated. Um, the exact proximity, I'm not hundred percent sure on how, how, how close, uh, I, you, you'll want to keep a distance from, but certainly, um, 
the better, the more distance, the better. And but I would assume, like we essentially will assume that they'll be contagious, so they'll also be isolated. Assume you already have it, and 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 act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, if uh, okay, so the second question here is: If you get it once, does your chance of getting it a second time lessen since your body's already prepared to fight it off once? That's the theory. So, like, that's the theory that you know, if you get it once, that you develop an immune immunity to it. You know, like some viruses will will mutate um, relatively quick. So, like, even you know, you get exposed to a cold, uh, but you know, a few weeks later, or you might get another cold. Um, but uh, the theory is that you know, if you get this COVID nineteen, you will have a level of immunity uh, for a period of time. Um, obviously, it's hard to know for absolute certainty, but um, there's a lot unknown about like the you know is this gonna you know is it, are we gonna have a version two mm. next year who knows like um but certainly the the from a basic um medical level we assume you'll have some level of immunity are there any dietary changes recommended or anything to stay away from as far as i'm uh, and once again, this is a non-expert opinion, but as far as I've uh, come across, there's nothing specific in diet that makes you either more susceptible or protective. I would just encourage like anything, well-balanced diet. Eat them greens, eat them protein. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> well, man, that thank you so much for for chatting. COVID, I know it's you know you you only know so much. You're on the front lines, and the situation's evolving rapidly. So, um, you know, thanks for answering those questions. Now, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk talk about you some more, man. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about some of the other things you're passionate about. Let's talk about fitness. Let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about some of the things you do to keep yourself at peak performance. Yeah. For me, it's, um, you know, I, I love this topic, by the way, because, you know, I, I, as I alluded to before, like I'm, I'm in my 40s now. I, I like to play hockey. I play hockey with a lot of young guys, like guys that are in their late 20s, early 30s. And so I'm doing my best to keep up. And as you get older, you ache more. It's Your recovery time's longer. You're more injury prone. So I, you know, I I always want to try and keep the competitive edge. So a couple of things that I've I'm passionate about is yeah, like I, I like to push weight. Like I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I go to the gym as often as I can. Um, you know, I like I've been doing it since I was probably 18 years old. I love it. No better feeling than you know leaving the gym after doing having a good workout. Um, Always changing the routine a bit, but I, I do have a pretty consistent routine. Uh, Diet-wise, I've been doing the intermittent fasting for about two years plus, and that was a game changer for me. It's like I, I basically kept my weight, reduced my percent body fat, and I've become stronger. And like my best lifts have always been during fasted states, and uh, it's just changed so much, and it's so freeing. Like I love the idea. Like I do the sixteen eights. Like that's what eat. I was gonna ask. Is what's your yeah. what's your window looking like? Yeah, yeah. My window is anywhere from uh, sixteen to eighteen, uh, and uh, basically uh, I'll have my first meal around noon, 
And then my last meal will be between six and eight o'clock, just depending on the chaos, the chaoticness of the day. But um, it's so convenient. You leave the house, like I shower, get my coffee, give love to the kids and, and mommy and bust out. And I'm like, you're saving 15 minutes in the day. And I don't feel hungry. Like once you get used to it, like I'm, I'm, I feel great. I don't feel that kind of fog after you have a big meal like uh, at breakfast. And uh, my two meals that I eat, I get to go to town. Ah, you know, like I don't, I, I don't, love. I love it so much. Like I don't even think about the quantity, my friend. I just, you know, is that another chicken breast? Okay. Is that another uh, pork chop? Okay, let's go. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. just it's so freeing. And I'm so I'm a um, big fan of intermittent fasting. Myself, so you do that man. too, eh, bud? Yeah, yeah, I I try and so I'll do it between Monday and Thursday. I usually fall off on Friday, Saturday, try to get back on the wagon Sunday, but I'd like to be able to do it consistently as long as you have. I love the 16-8. I love skipping the breakfast. Like you said, mm-hmm. basically it's essentially skipping breakfast. And That's right. um it's crazy that growing up, we were always told breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And we were it's, always told, you know, go eat, eat, get a big, you know, big, big breakfast in. And it's like, I feel great when I just have like a coffee, like a black coffee yeah. or, or something. something. Uh, actually, I'm lying. I don't have it black. I have the tiniest bit splash of oat milk. And I know I'm technically not fasting, but... For all intents and purposes, I'm like ah, it's close enough. But you know what? I wouldn't get. I wouldn't be hard on yourself. It depends who you talk to. Like some people say, less than fifty calories in that window is fine. Like well, I other put, people say I put no oat milk coffee. in mine. Yeah, exactly. Like some people are real extreme. But I, I, I put oat milk. That's ironic. You put oat milk. Um, but yeah, I put oat milk in my coffee too. Yeah. And. Um, Bob's your uncle. I'm ready to go. Like it's. Uh, I love the fasted uh, working out too. I just feel so much uh, more nimble. Like I could just move right? around a bit better. You're you're not as uh, bogged down by the last meal that you ate, uh, yeah. especially if it was higher in, in carbs. Uh, yeah. Because I find that that kind of you know it might I might be able to lift heavier weight, which I've noticed, but yeah. but uh, I I don't feel as good doing it i yeah. don't know i don't know why but i i, I really do I, i'm a proponent of intermittent fasting i know some people who do like days i, I don't i don't do yeah. all that <laughs> yeah i, I, <laughs> I like food I haven't too tr- much <laughs> oh i tried a uh, couple of times i tried close to 24 mm-hmm. like i'll i'll have a late lunch or i'll i'll skip lunch and i'm I, I don't like i don't personally like it like i'm ready to like punch a wall you know what I mean? Like I'm just cranky. I, right. I feel a little bit. Uh, I just I feel more tired. So I that I don't find is for me. But certainly, the like the sixteen eight stuff. Like, do you have you done uh, much cardio in the morning? Like, do you do cardio too, or mostly just? Uh, I actually uh, end strength? up doing cardio more in the evening because I do okay. things like kickboxing and and different. Like I play flag football and different sports. Are you play? Let. You play with uh, OTNFL? Uh, like no, the- uh, NC Flag, that that one. I don't play the Touch okay. League, but anyways, yeah. So I do that on Sundays and then kickboxing a couple times a week. I 
quite frankly don't enjoy just doing steady state cardio it's just not fun for yeah me. no i, don't, I agree I, I don't i don't enjoy just uh you know but but i'll do it i like a stairmaster or like go for a 5k run or something like that i mix it in i just i'm a big ass dude man i'm like i'm 240 pounds of just, you're 240 yeah, yeah oh my god so, hey, how tall how tall are you about six one Oh man, that's beast mode right there, dog. So, so the thing is, I don't love running. It's I'm, I feel like I'm not built for it, you know. But you yeah, know, you do what you got to do for cardio. So I'd like to. And now with this whole uh, isolation stuff, I think what I'm gonna do is incorporate the cardio first thing in the morning, and and do my, yeah. my strength training later. But we'll see, man. Yeah, no, I it's uh, I'm with you though. I don't like steady cardio. I do. A, Mostly interval stuff. If I like right now, I'm not playing hockey, so like we have a elliptical in the basement, and so I'll do, you know, like what I like to do is 30 second sprint, one minute, nice, like hit, yeah, uh, lower rate, and then uh, yeah, and and the nice thing about those hit workouts is you don't have to do do it too long, right? Like it's the high intensity does the trick. Twenty twenty five minutes and you're good, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. 100%. Well, what are the th- what are the kind of things do you do uh, in terms of for for mindfulness? Uh, do you practice any kind of meditation? Do you do any kind of uh, things to keep your your mind sharp? Yeah, it's um, you know I've never I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, but it's another thing that I'm pretty uh, I take seriously. Like I do like my. Um, I do meditate. I, I don't, um, I don't like the guided ones. I'll, I'll just do some, uh, meditation, like focus on your breath. I guess it's, you might call it mindful meditation. I, I'll do it five minutes after the kids go down and I feel like it's just like a nice reset. You know what I mean? I like it. I like the, um, the ability to just like shut the brain off for a bit and everything just feels a little bit less stressed. Everything f- feels a little bit more, um, just less intimidating. Um, so I'm a, I'm a big, I, I love that. Sometimes I'll incorporate some breathing exercises too. There's this uh, book by um, Patrick McEwen, I think his name is called Breathe. It's it's actually like a, it's you'll love this book actually. It's a good way of like, improving your cardio with breath holding techniques so like um you know um so like one of the things like say if you're doing a a set of three um three reps like say you're doing three deadlifts or whatever to incorporate a little bit of cardio keep hold your breath throughout the the lifts and um that just adds that a little bit extra metabolic component (laughs) never heard Um, of that i know that's why i thought it was fascinating i heard him on another podcast uh bulletproof and uh, I got hooked. Um, so yeah, you know, breathing exercises. Uh, I like to. I'll, I'll do the, the the meditation. You know, and just like uh, I listen to other podcasts. I, I, I love audio books. That's a that's a that's what's changed my. Honestly, one of the things that has changed my life was audio books. Really, like for absolutely <laughs> because I used to go from reading a book a a year on vacation and now i go through 18 in a year wow. you know and uh whether it's like productivity whether it's something on, on how to improve your podcast like i just i love it i'm just like a knowledge junkie you know what i mean like i just 
you know, you, you're talking about how, you know, personal growth and stuff now. Like, I don't know if it was an age thing or if it was just time, but it's just like, what can I do to be a better doc? What can I be do to be a better version of me? What can I do to be a better dad? All these kind of things, I think, um, you know, I'm pushing towards now. And uh, I find reading some of that content really is has been valuable. A lot of people have been suggesting audiobooks to me. Uh, I've I've tried them before and I've I've listened to a few and I like an audiobook, but sometimes I just can't get with the narrator. If it's not a good narrator, <laughs> it's like I keep finding myself having to rewind it and get into it. But anyways, uh, next kind of next kind of topic, uh, and it's kind of very much still on the personal growth stuff is are there any types of things you do in terms of biohacking do you do you do like a Wim Hof breathing do you do any uh, cold showers or saunas or, or those kinds of things yeah so I and this is what another one I've never told anybody I don't think but I'm telling the world I, I love the Wim Hof I, I do the Wim Hof breathing when I for me I use it for when I'm tired it's like a a way of replacing coffee for me just nice. like an, an energy boost uh it's you know it's just it's almost meditative in a way too but like at work it's three o'clock i'm tired i've been i've got three hours of sleep need to refocus because there's some patients coming through the door do a little like three cycles of wim hof you feel great. You feel energized. I, I, I mean, I don't do the cold shower stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I work out a good at uh, Movadi, so I'll use that sauna, but just for not for the, you know, not the biohacking reasons, just because I, I'm, it, it makes me good. comfortable. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah. I do like the, I like the way the Wim Hof makes you feel, and, um, but yeah, I've never, I've never said. I don't know if any of my friends actually know I do uh, Wim Hof. Well, they do now, man. That's awesome. <laughs> kind of one of the last topics uh, because we are kind of running out of time here. I, I'm sure we could sit here for hours on end and just chat, but uh, I'll have you back on, man. We, we'll continue. I love this. it. But uh, I love it. it is your podcast. Now, talk to me about what inspired you to actually start a podcast and with all the other things you're doing, produce a podcast on top of it. How, how are you doing this? Yeah, you know what it was, uh, Deepak? It was the fact that we were doing all this, in my opinion, awesome research in terms of how to make healthcare better and how to save money, and nothing was changing. Nothing. You know what I mean? Like, you'd put a paper in one of the, like, one of the more prestigious medical journals, and in our world where, where we work, it didn't matter. So I was like, you know what, maybe... We'll, we'll put a voice to some of this, you know, and I love podcasts. I said, why don't we just start one and see what happens? And let me tell you, my friend, it's been beautiful. Like things are changing. Like it's, you know, opportunities like this getting to meet you and, and other podcasters. But like from a healthcare perspective, you know, you know, one of the initiatives that we're, we were going to announce before uh, COVID uh um, really overwhelmed us was we got this um, we had a, interviewed this uh, child psychologist Adrian Matheson and she talked about how if we could intervene earlier with kids you could really prevent some mental mental illnesses you could prevent some 
drug addiction, suicides, and all this stuff. So we we started this program called Bridges Over Barriers, where we we help fund this uh, program where social workers could can um, you know help kids at need with basic needs. So if they needed shoes, if they needed a bus pass, they they needed something to be able to you know be able to just focus on their school and stuff. Um, this is a this is an initiative that we were going to announce soon, um, but um, yeah, you know that came from the podcast, you know, and that that means a lot to me. And then the 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 the, the stories you get and the recognition you get, you know, I I hear from get messages from nurse colleagues saying like, "Thank you for recognizing our struggles. Thank you for seeing us," and it just it, it melts your heart. And um, we did another one on on grieving and. And, you know, when I, I get a message every once in a while and saying how that hope, the, the guest on the show, Heather Busada, really helped them go through their grieving process and put things in perspective. And like you're, you're we're touching lives, you know, and I just, you know, and then you telling me that, you know, the, the mini cast giving you a good source for information on the COVID-19 and what what's coming down uh, the pipeline and Hopefully that gives you some peace of mind and hopefully it empowers you too. Like this is good stuff. And I, I, you know, I just, I won't lie to you. Like it's, it's something that I'm, I'm quite proud of because it came from an idea one, you know, one minute and then we just made it into action. And now I feel like we're actually making a difference. And you're making an incredible difference. So much impact uh the initiative that you or were just talking about like that warms my heart man that like like the world needs that the world needs more mm-hmm. of that and you know if you could go and you know we often talk about what we could do uh, uh once somebody has already uh you know reactive measures for lack mm-hmm. of a better word but going in and preventing not only does that help the person and impact that person's life but tying it back to the resources you're saving so much resources mm-hmm. that can now be used to help other other kind of things so it's very man like this fires me up i need i need everyone <laughs> i need everyone to ride with this podcast and let's make it number one like i love i love your podcast i love everything you're doing man and like yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time and, 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 you know, I know you're busy. I don't know how you manage all these things that you're doing. There's, I have no idea how you do it. Uh, <laughs> Neither but, do I, man. <laughs> but uh, thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast with me. Uh, before I let you go, uh, we do something uh, called the lightning round where basically I just ask five five questions to kind of end the podcast uh and uh yeah so let's just dive right in i'm I'm excited awesome man so uh question one is what piece of advice would you give 17 year old you 17 year old 17 year old yeah 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 you could go back (laughs) to time and whisper to you know oh man that's 17 year old so i mean that's me in high school just starting university um I, there's a couple of things. One would be like enjoy this ride. Like you're when you're 17, 18, you're you're so worried about, you know, am I in the right program? Am I gonna get into medicine? Am I gonna make my family proud? All this stuff. And 
and some of that takes away from how much fun you're having as a 17, 18 year old. <laughs> great friends, great people, great times. Um, and really just, I wish you, even, even if it was this much more to be just in the moment more and to really embrace what you're, uh, the, the fun of being that age and also trust, like trust in yourself that it's going to be okay. You'll get to where you need to be. I love that. Uh, name one movie that you can rewatch over and over without getting tired of. Whoa. This sounds, this came just off the top of my head and you might judge me. Have you seen seven? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, it's got the I, number seven in the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> like it was everything about seven or usual suspects, just the oh, nice. the acting and the, just the, I know if you've seen the end, you know, you know the twist, but just like, I don't know. It was all parts of that was, uh, oh, yeah. was balling. I'm all over those kinds of movies, man. Love it. Yeah. Um, if you could uh, dispel one myth of what it's like working in the ICU, what would it be? That it's all like sad stuff. Like it's all like uh, depressing cases and stuff like that. Like really, there is a lot of sadness. Like when you lose uh, a young patient, um, you know, that, that still is hard to take, but there's there's still a lot of triumph there like there's a lot of camaraderie there's a lot of overcoming odds so uh it's not all doom and gloom i know i said it's the lightning round but i have to ask like a sub question to that yeah yeah um how how have you kind of uh, learned to deal with that uh that that loss and those those sensitive things like what do you what do you do to kind of bring yourself back yeah, it's a, a really good question. And I think part of it is like to be able to do the job, period, you have to be able to set these, you have to be able to set your emotions aside for part of that. Like you could be telling, you know, someone that, you know, their 40 year old daughter is about to die. But then if someone's coming in dying of their, or like really acutely sick from their trauma, you got to go and you got to be focused. You got to deal with what's in front of you right there and then. Yeah. But we, my practice always to take time to decompress with some of that stuff. Like whether it's me sitting down after work and taking five minutes to say like, man, that was fucking sad. Like that was, that's hard. Or sitting down with my wife after the kids go down and said like, mommy, that, that was a tough day, man. Like it was, you know, seeing that young family go through what they did, um, it was tough, but it also, it's a gift in some ways because then you, you really appreciate how precious life is. Like, so like you'll come home from a day like that. And when you see, when I see my boys, I'm just like, this is awesome. Like come and hug dad. I want to play with you all the rest of the night. Let's, uh, you guys could drop, kick me in the chest all that you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it, um, it's, it's, it really makes you appreciate how, the little things that's beautiful man uh, a little bit of a lighter question uh what's your favorite restaurant in the ottawa area wow 
Am I allowed to say that, like, for a city this size, we don't have that many, like, gangster restaurants? Not, you know like, what I mean? the craziest ones. There's, you know what some, I mean? There's some little gems here and there sprinkled but, around. And that's why I like asking this question. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, uh, before it got burned down, Allium was our go-to. Actually, okay. you know what? I'm going to say this. I still love going to Quinn's on Bank Street, and it's like Summer, Somerset, somewhere along that. It's like a little pub. Got the... Baddest burgers in town. The pizzas are fresh too. Um, as for Quinn, he's the owner. Is that to me still is the tightest joint? I actually. love it, man. Yeah. Uh, last and final question: How would you like people to remember you? Wow. Um, I I want people to remember me by. You know, there's a few things. One, that if you needed me, if you were in trouble, even if you, like, say, for example, you we met once, Deepak, and we connected by doing this thing. You truly needed help with something. I want to be able to be there for you. I want to be able to say that I'm this. You know, Kojo was reliable. He was, he was able to help me in a time of need. That's an important thing. And the one thing that I I, I still always want to remind myself, and this is one of the the qualities I felt like my old man had was to have some integrity. You know, and to to do the right thing. Like if you could say that, you know, in a time where we needed it, Kojo did the right thing despite the fallout. And, and he's able to look himself in the mirror and said, you know what? He did what needed to happen. That that means a lot to me. I love it, man. There's there's no there's no better way I'd like to end this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to have you back on. We're going to chat a lot more. And uh, thank you for everything that you do. I really do appreciate everything that you're doing, uh, your contributions, and just being being there, genuinely saving lives, man. You're a superhero. Uh, oh, do- sh- oh, shout out your uh, shout oh. out your uh, social media for the podcast and a website for people to find you. Yeah, so we have a, we're everywhere. So um, you know, you could find the podcast Solving Healthcare on iTunes, Stitcher, um, uh, Spotify. Um, on Instagram or uh, Facebook or um, Twitter, we're at at Quadcast, uh, K-W-A-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, our comments, you can leave at quadcast99 at gmail.com. And uh, the resource optimization network.com is where we, our research group, uh, that's a host site for our research group for those that are interested in science and medicine. Um, but yeah, man. And let me let me give you some props too, Deepak. I love, I love the show that you're doing. It's a nice release. You know, it's a nice way of like seeing how you can easily connect with people. You have authentic conversations. And uh, this has been... Honestly, and 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 I can speak personally because this has been, it's a tough, it's a stressful time. I won't lie to you. This has been so much fun, and it's just like an hour of escaping. And I, I gotta really thank you for the opportunity, buddy. I appreciate the comments, man. I really appreciate you. Let's chat soon, and just remember, guys, it's not that deep. <laughs> it's not that deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. That was fun. That was that was Thanks good. for listening to another episode of the It's Not That Deep podcast. 
For access to exclusive articles and content, please head over to www.itsnotthatdeeppodcast.com. And to help me grow this thing to the next level, here's what I need you to do. Go ahead and subscribe to my podcast on all platforms, wherever you listen, and share with all your friends and family on all social media. And please leave a rating as well. Remember, it's not that deep.